Um, yeah, we'll just we'll just go with it is. I, I want to make sure that your your book gets out there. I bought the book, and then I only read the first part of it. I got sort of sidetracked with health problems myself. So, right. But we'll uh, we'll go with it here. <clears throat> Nicole, is, uh, if you want to record, do you want to record as well, John? No, I'm good. Okay. Okay, so let me just do an intro here, a little short intro, and then we'll just get into a like, conversation like we used to have in the old days. Okay. Right. I'm backing and, everything up, and I'll just hang out here in the background. Yeah, okay. So if you need to jump in with a question, you go ahead. Otherwise, I'll just uh, go with the interview here. Thank you. Okay, beautiful. Um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Grant Cameron, and I have a special guest today. Uh, a longtime friend of mine, John Burroughs, who is um, one of the people in ufology that you should know who he is. Uh, he's uh, associated mostly with the Reynolds from Forest incident. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into questions about what is the government up to? Uh, what kind of technology does the government have? And we're going to go through um, John's book that he has uh, just put out called Weaponization of a, an Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, the Reynolds from Forest UAP incident 40 years later. Now, John Burroughs was born in Bloomington, Illinois, that down the road from Nicole, who's also in Illinois in 1960, joined the US Air Force right after high school graduation. He received orders to go to RAF Bentwaters, England and arrived in July, 1979, 18 months before the strange encounters in the Reynolds from Forest between RAF Bentwaters and nearby RAF Woodridge, uh, Woodbridge. So John, thank you for uh, coming on and uh, talking about your, your your new book and some of the other stuff we'll get into. You've been sort of um, um, somebody I've, I've, I've watched because I'm very much interested in the experiencers, the people who've been very close to this phenomena, not so much the lights in the sky stuff. And I know that um, you had a very close encounter. So let's get to a little bit what you want people to know about your background and Sort of spell out the Reynolds from Forest story uh, for people who the five people who on the on the audience here who haven't heard it. <laughs> okay, um, well, I was in the Air Force for 20, 27 years before I retired. Started in the Cold War, ended uh, after nine eleven. A couple of years, so I was involved in nine eleven. Um, the uh, book I put it together because. There's so many things out there about Rendlesham that don't add up as far as the story itself, what really happened to us. So I wanted to put a book together doing an investigation of the incident itself. And to be honest with you, not that the incident wasn't a big deal, but a lot of the stuff that happened afterwards was uh the only way to put it is is kind of eye-opening too. the different people that came out of the woodwork about the incident their interest in it what they wanted to know about it uh when we did the book we tried to take a look at it from different documents that have been declassified about technology condine itself how it pertained what was going on just outside the back gate of woodbridge during our event the interesting thing is is that I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard people say they saw something and it can't be ours based off of what we've uncovered. And it's in the book as far as our technology and, you know, how we've developed it, where we've gone with it. Um, I think one of the biggest questions from the book is this. There definitely is a phenomenon. 
there was there was something in the Reynolds and Boris that's still there. We uh we documented that not only in the book, uh, an engineer came down and did an investigation on the whole incident in the area, but there was also a guy by the name of Andrew Pike that was doing a study of the phenomenon when the incident happened. So there's definitely a phenomenon there. The British government calls it a UAP in Condine, and they even speculated, and what I mean by speculated, they didn't, they didn't actually show the documents how the author came to this conclusion, but he stated that we were expo- overexposed to UAP radiation. Okay, so let, let me start with a question because you talk about the fact that, you know, there's different sort of stories out there about what happened at Reynolds and Forest. Do you think that the government actually messed with you guys in terms of get, feeding different stories to different people? Because one, I think the, the main objection people might have to the Reynolds and Forest story is that it, there's, there's various versions of the story. And um, it's sort of like if you guys can't get it together in the story in terms of, you know, what, what was what, what actually happened. So what did the government actually mess with people in terms of, you know, debriefings, brainwashing, that kind of stuff? That was always a story that went around. Well, Colonel Hawes pushed that uh, theory from almost the beginning. <clears throat> Some of the people involved, Peniston and Bestenza claimed that they, you know, were brought in and talked to. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that this is the hard part with this whole thing is that without a real scientific community coming together and getting all the data, which is what I believe Lou Elizondo and his crew's trying to do through Congress, that you don't, you can't understand what the effects would be totally on a human when they had interaction with this known phenomenon. And I say known because the Condon report, which is an official British document that was classified secret states there is a phenomenon. It exists, it's intelligent, it's capable of doing things that, you know, that can't be explained. And so it's there, um, stuff that happened at Skinwalker Ranch. And there appears to be different areas around the world that have this phenomenon present. And it's definitely an energy-based. Um, uh, Bradshaw Ranch in Sedona is another area where they've had stuff that goes on up there that the government actually sees Bradshaw uh, and then eventually turned it back and then they've taken it back again. So there's something going on as far as the phenomena and the effects on humans. And Condine itself says when you get real close to something, it can mess up what you remember seeing or what, how, you, you know, what you perceived it to be. So. Okay. So um, with, with the, um, you mentioned Rendlesham is still going on. So I guess the question would be, why three days at Rendlesham, this main three days where this thing appeared and reappeared? And, and and does it still going on? And what are you talking about in terms of this being a special? Is it a special area, according to you? Well, I'm not calling it a special area. It's just there's a known phenomenon there. And Andrew Pike, who wrote one book and then followed up with another, mysteriously pulled them both. Uh, the first one he caught a lot of flack for. And there was speculation because he was working in the investigation, he got really upset when came up that it was probably government sponsored, but it was through a university that was getting funding from the government. So you can leave it there. What what is known that was going on during our event was Marconi and the United States government were working on weapons, different types of weapons and provoking the phenomenon itself. And that came straight from Andrew Pike 
who was working on the project, you know, during that time frame. In fact, it's interesting that there's a couple of things that stand out about the folklore of Rendlesham, but they actually were involved. The tunnels that were there that they claimed were used were actually being used to send EM frequencies to provoke the phenomenon. Andrew Pikes told me that, okay? So they were provoking this phenomenon, studying it, trying to figure out, guess what, how to weaponize it, okay? Then the second thing that came up almost at the beginning was the White Lighthouse was involved. Well, the interesting fact of the matter is, and it's in the book, most people don't know this, but they were working on the death ray, the English government, when they developed radar. And the original radar started right there outside the back gate of Woodbridge. And the original tower that's there was modified, which we found documents to prove it, to actually send EM frequencies to the lighthouse to um, actually have them go inland. So they were working on all kinds of projects with Bowsey, Marlis from Heath, forget the other base, I want to say Bowden or whatever. They were working on all kinds of things, and even Chick Sands was involved with the um, – what is it called? The elephant cage that they used to use. Now they use a little satellite dish, but that was being used for communications and spying on Russia. So there was all kinds of stuff being tested right there at the time of our incident. So do you, you mentioned them provoking, and you and I have talked about this before, that provoking the phenomena that it appeared that we talked about this thing about experiencers being used sort of to bait them. Is this stuff, is this common practice around the government or is this just a British thing where because you mentioned the word provoking, what do we mean by provoking? Trying to get the phenomena to come close, or well, they were. If you read, if, I know you didn't get through the whole book, but in it, that one of the things they've been working on is cloaking plasmas. Plasmas can be used to cloak. They can be used for like, um, can't think of the word now. Like the you know when when they want to put out a false signal on radar or the you know get the weapons to. Um, the weapons to go for the plasma instead of the, the aircraft. But anyway, it can be used countermeasures. It can be used as countermeasures. It can be um, used for the warp bubble that they're working on for warp travel. Um, it can be used for cloaking. It can be used for all different kinds of things. So do am I saying that we were, especially the first night where we had tests? I don't think so. I think basically they were working on it and what they didn't expect was us to leave the base. I think that was the thing. I mean, technically, because when we first called it in, we did go off the base. So when Stephens first saw it, got my attention, I saw it. We drove down to the end of the road. We got, I got out of the vehicle. There was a high intensity electricity in the air. Didn't seem right. We called it in. They, uh, they did a radar call in at the, from CSC to uh, our RABCON to uh, Heathrow Tower to Eastern Radar. And there was a confirmation that there was something on radar that disappeared over the area. So the shift commander, I mean, it was a little dicey. I mean, cause this was off base. In theory, the British probably should have just been called cause there was not an immediate threat to the base at that moment. But because they thought an aircraft went down they sent three of us off. And we went out there and had an encounter, you know? And then after that, everything was, you know, high alert as far as what I mean by high alert too. No, we didn't go into alert like a normal alert. Everybody was watching the forest. 
And so over the next two nights, other things were seen, never mind prior to our incident, things had been seen. And after the three nights stuff went on, but there was a lot of intensity looking into the forest. And eventually it appears, which I don't have exact proof other than when I talked to uh, General Williams, that, that the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand and what was going on at base had nothing to do with Bent Waters or Woodbridge. In other words, they weren't involved in the testing or anything else. This was all being done by Marlson Heath, Bowsey, the British government, and the American government, and scientists. So we would not have had any reason to know what was going on. We just stumbled out there the first night into the middle of the whole thing. So, so you're saying, like you, you mentioned, the you know that the, the they came in from Germany to pick up stuff, and yes, you, Sunday night they brought. Well, the, it goes into the book. Sunday night, a plane came in from Langley. They were out in the forest like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In the book, I um, was able to get in touch with an OSI agent that laid it out pretty good. He was involved. I confirmed the guy was there because I didn't know his name at the time. But Hulk confirmed it. It's in the book um, that he was there and that they brought on all kinds of agencies in from the outside, all the alphabet soup agencies and stuff. One of the things they were concerned about was that something to do with Russia and in fact, the OSI said, agent said that um, they caught a Russian agent in the area during that whole thing that went on. Wow, because that was one of the stories that I originally heard was that the Russians were on the Polish border and you guys had the tactical nu nuclear weapons there. Did that have anything to do with it? The fact that, the, that the, there was this standoff on the Polish border with uh, solidarity and stuff like that? No, I, I don't believe that at all. I believe that... Um, they were working on weaponization of the phenomenon that was there. And I mean, and basically, if you go to that point or even right before it and go forward, you'll see how what they were working on there has been, you know, put into action is being used that, you know, they're 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 working off this phenomenon to weaponize it. They're doing it. And um, that I don't think anything having to do with what we weren't on alert. That was the rumor that started by a guy that. It's been pretty much his whole credibility has been destroyed, but um, we weren't on alert. We never went on alert. You know what I mean? The base was not on alert. We were normal. And and when I said earlier that we went on alert, what I meant by that was just simply everybody was watching the forest. You know, once the story came out, we went out there. It couldn't be explained. If you read the statements that were written, even by um, Baran, Verano talked about stuff that had been going on prior to our incident and what's going on. So now, now our base wanted to know what was going on right outside the back gate. You know what I mean? Because in theory, it could be a threat. I mean, we don't know what it is and it's not acting normal. And we had an encounter with something. So they wanted to know what was going on. So, so no, we weren't on any kind of up heightened security alert other than it was over the holidays. We were worried about the Red Brigade a little bit. That was the stuff, um, you know, coming out of Ireland and stuff. There was an issue with it could be some terrorist activity. You know, it wasn't high alert, but we were just briefed that something could happen. You know, IRA, I should say, not the River Gate, IRA. So, so you, you were you were involved all three nights. I think some of you guys are coming in on your own time, correct? I mean, well, no, I was involved in two of the three nights. Um, the first night I went out there, three of us did into the forest. The second night, a lieutenant and um, Master Sergeant Ball, which has been confirmed with different people that were on duty that night, had some kind of encounter. And the lieutenant, from what we were told, which I've never been able to talk to her about it, had an encounter where the light or whatever it was shut her Jeep off and, 
and scared her to the point where she was relieved of duty. Because on the third night, she should have been out there with the group, but she was relieved of duty. Um, one of the individuals involved claimed that she popped a couple rounds at it on the second night. Now, when I say that, it's never been, no one else has ever said it but one person. But there was some kind of confrontation, and she did get relieved of duty, and she did leave the base shortly afterwards. Then I went out on the third night off-duty with two other guys I worked with on flight that were off-duty, and we ended up with Halt's party. Yeah, no, that that gets to, I was going to bring up, this is this Bonnie girl that would, she, is she one of the 200 people that's in the study that was affected? Is she Not that I'm aware of. Um, the last I've heard was she disappeared and somebody tracked her down to Italy, but she didn't want to talk about it. And the Baran, not Baran, I'm sorry, England was another guy that was out there on the third night and he's actually surfaced, but he won't talk about it. So, Okay. Because that, that's my, one of my main questions. And you know, the, the controversy about the guns that she, I mean, she had a, she had a weapon according to you, she would have had a GAU, but she would have been going between bases, which we were authorized to do. Okay. But that, that was my, my idea is and the big question I have is, is the, the effect because there was, the, you know, the story that was told that, that you had the sidearm and, and, and this idea that the weapons may have had something to do with it. Uh, so can you address that? Uh, yeah, I can, I can address it. Okay. This is what I remember happening. Um, when, when the security team came down that there was a discussion on the phone, that's when the radar um, incident was documented um we were told to leave our weapons with stephens stephens didn't want to go out there and in actuality he shouldn't have gone out there because we would have had two the only two ranking guys out there in the forest which is not what you want to do anyway you want to leave somebody there you know an nco on the base um so we were left our weapons with stephens and we went out there now what i remember was getting close to it and Pennison was in front of me and he yelled for me to open up fire on it. And I yelled back at him, I don't have my weapon. And, uh, but Kabansak did do an interview with James Fox where he stated that we were all right there on top of it. And I drew my weapon and we all blacked out. Yeah, but I don't remember having a weapon yeah. or drawing my weapon on it. And I joked about it with Fox because he asked me about it. I says, well, I didn't, but what would have probably happened if I did and I would have done something with my, you know, fired at the thing, you know, and I don't think it would have ended well for us. Because my, my question in, in when I've always heard the story is and, and answer this for me, like, so if it was a, like a, a radiation type effect, if you're in too close to it, like they're talking about the 100 meter effect, if you get inside, it's, it's dangerous. Why were you injured and why was Peniston and Kabanzak not injured. If it was well, an effect like a radiation. Oh, thing. Okay, well, you have to explain it this way. First of all, Peniston's denied Kabanzak was with us until he slipped up on Jimmy Church and he okay. admitted that all three of us were together when we came up on it. Um, the thing about it is, and I don't, and I'm going to say this straight up because this is how I feel. I don't trust most of what Peniston has said now because of different things that have taken place. But he ha had said, that he actually saw me frozen by a beam. And then I was, I was, you know, I was frozen by something. Now the third night, um, Adrian Bestenza and I got close to this. I went in it and he saw me disappear and, and he actually had part of it come over the top of him. Now, what I can tell you is because it's in the book now and Adrian's admitted to it, we both have been compensated from the government for our injuries from the incident that we're the only two that have ever gotten anything for it. So Okay, and that was through Kit Green that 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 
Well, now, now, do you want me to ask me some questions about it so we I don't you know well, repeat okay, myself? Well, let, well, well, let's let's go to the the effect because now this big study's out about the two hundred guys and and the guys on the street. I mean, they're, they're most researchers would give the right hand to be within 100 yards of a ufo and so the question is how, how did so many military people get so close to ufos where they're like 10 meters away and they're getting injured and stuff and you you hear this is there a connection between the military and ufos i guess that'd be my first question well i mean okay let's let's go back let's go back to the recent stuff uh to the star stuff the nimitz incident and what was it the washington what was the other aircraft carrier was out what, what was the one uh, off the, the east uh, coast? roosevelt was it the roosevelt roosevelt okay if you knew the areas where these stuff took place, you would know we have high technology both in, in yeah. Florida and down there off the coast of San Diego. We have radars, EM frequencies, all this stuff down there. That's as much as I could say. But we have all kinds of stuff. So there was encounters down there with these two carriers with possibly our technology. Or there's also a possibility it's not only our technology, but there's something there, too. You know, because down there in the San Diego area, there's been all kinds of reports of where stuff going on. But just remember, that's the area where the Navy is. Okay, now with the Air Force, you got planes in the air. They're having encounters with whatever this is. Um, the interesting thing was, and this probably, you know, it's a fiction TV show, but um, NCIS Los Angeles has done a couple of different um, shows on a Navy encounter with the UAP. The last one was, basically based off the Nimitz incident. But the interesting thing was they came to the conclusion pretty quickly that it was UA, it was drones, which by the way, what did the one pilot say? Dude, it's a bunch of drones, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Now what they, what they were shocked to find out was these drones are not controlled by man on the ground. They're controlled by AI. So they are self-learning. They're programmed and they go up and they do their own thing off of their programming so no man is controlling them now what was interesting two days later the united states government admitted they were selling drones that could do exactly that to the ukrainians they could take tanks out so we have this whole scenario with them working on drones and ai and um what was one of the things they were studying they were not only studying the effects on the body but the effects on the mind you know what the mind can do okay so that was who's, who's doing the study? Who's who's that was uh that was Green was part of that. Green and Nolan, Nolan and Green. Green. Yes, they were they yeah. were working on the the mind itself, not only the effects on the body but the mind and yep. what the mind. But it went further. They were looking at was the mind different in the people that had the encounters. Yeah, yeah, and they and you were one of their subjects, right? Yes, it, but let me. I want to clarify this. This will be a great time to do this. Okay, I've been accused of being bought up by the government. Okay, I wasn't. All right, we we did. You were there, Grant. We did that presentation for Bassett. The uh, what was it called? The uh, the ex or the uh, citizens hearing. Yes, we did the citizens hearing. I don't know if you did. You watch our presentation? Yeah, that's. The, I think that's what changed everything. When your lawyer was there, and that sort of flipped the whole story upside down, right? Yeah, I set that all up purposely that way because I had issues going on that nobody knew about at the time with the government itself. They were denying I was in the Air Force. They altered my DD Form 214. They held my records back from me. And all this was going on. So we set it up like that. We did. And I'm not slamming any of the other panels, but we were as close as what you would do if there was a hearing going on in front of Congress, as far as military people being presenting what's going on. And you definitely would want a lawyer there. 
because of the ramifications of classified material and everything else. So when we when we went and presented it, I presented documents to show that this was going on. This wasn't made up. Here's the documents. Here's a document from Kyle saying my records are classified. Here's a document from them saying they alter my DD form 214. So they were blown away. Not only that, were they blown away by the fact there's a classified records section that they didn't even know about. Some Congress people know about it, but most don't. The guy that did was, you remember the old guy from Maryland district? He did because guess what? His aide came down and talked to me. 80% of the people they deal with are classified projects that the guys can't get their, um, they can't get medical care because they can't reveal what they were damaged by. So she helped my McCain's um, aide get, get some stuff done behind the scenes. Okay. The only other guy, do you remember gravel? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He you remember he, he was, when he addressed this directly and asked, yeah, he was, we he was responsible doing. for it and he couldn't believe what was going on. <laughs> no, no. you remember when he said, what are you holding back? You can tell us you have immunity. And the, the lady that was running it said, oh, no, do not say another word. We're not going into any details. Because he had been the one with the papers, the Vietnam papers and all that other stuff. And the technology that got shut down, the CIA was working on. He knew something was up with that. And he, and he wanted us to try to expand on it. And at the time, we weren't in the position to do it. because Not because we couldn't have talked about it, but we didn't have the backup documentation to prove it. Yeah. But he he smelled something going on too. Yeah, I so, remember the, the one of them had said this thing about the, the he was with veterans. That was his job. He was part of his job as a senator or a congressman or whatever. And he couldn't believe this was going on. And suddenly realized that was the guy out of Utah. That was the guy that he was the one that got the letter. Remember, they got they did a letter they signed to send to Obama, and they sent a letter to the VA. What was interesting was there's a lot of stuff going on in the Obama administration at the time, but the letter went to the white house the white house kicked it over to the va podesta wow. looked at it podesta wow. looked at the letter so i ended up in my va file which what, what little i could get from the va on what they were doing because most of my stuff was locked down in fact what was interesting was when they denied it based on the fact i wasn't in the air force at the time and my records didn't exist for any injuries at the time um the uh, i had to appeal it and i went to a state agency that had access they found out that on our a FOIA request, McCain did a FOIA, and about 80% of the documents that we requested were held back. They wow. gave they only gave 20% of what they were holding on me to, to McCain, which is not supposed to happen either. So, Do you, do you hold any hope that we're going to be able to get through this? Because it seems like they're, they, they hold all the cards. And if you, with your lawyer in front of this big panel, were able to push one thing through, but... I mean, it must be like 99% of the stuff is, is nobody knows what's going on here. Oh, well, you're walking down a thin line of what I can talk about what I can't talk about right now. <laughs> um, and I'm not trying to be um, secretive other than the fact that I've made, I've given my word. I won't talk a lot about what I've been approached about um, for now, you know, until it takes place. Um, what I can tell you is this. Um, there is movement. But just remember that this happened before years ago with Congress getting, you know, you know, taking an interest. Uh, remember the guy from New Mexico that mysteriously died. Yeah. 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 Um, so but there's more this time. And they've done all these things to set up a, a group to investigate the um, to investigate the cover up by the government. Um, and have I been approached? Yes. Um, has anything happened yet? Not yet. 
Is it going to happen? Not sure yet. Um, there's, as you know, Ukraine's popped up now and a bunch of other stuff that's going on that's kind of taken some of the steam out of the whole thing. But there is an attempt, at least on the surface, but remember how Blue Book ended up, um, to uh, dig deeper into what, what is really known and what isn't known and what's being covered up and why is it being covered up. But as you know, it's real easy for the government to yank chains when they want to. You know, and not give all the details out. Um, so do I think we're going to get an answer? The honest truth is no, because it all goes back to one thing, national security as far as weapon, weapons, you know, and weapons capabilities. And you, you, they've done what Bigelow called confirmation. They've confirmed there's something out there. They don't care. And they're telling you they don't know anything about it or what it is, which is hogwash with the technology we have today and what we've done and just the different stuff that's leaked out about the study of the phenomenon that's going on, that they have a, they have a working idea of what they're doing, what they're developing weapons off of it. Yeah. That would, that would make sense. The highest classified secrets are weapon secrets and it would make sense. Well, what what did Reed, hand it over. What did Reed want to do as soon as he got funding to Bigelow and he started looking at stuff, he wanted to turn it into an SAP program. And that's one of the things that Green, and we'll get into Green here in a minute, but when he um, when he opened up, because that was a weird scenario, because when they helped me, they said nothing was ever going to be said, and then they leak, started leaking stuff out afterwards. But one of the things he said on the, you know, he wrote a statement about what went on with me, and he said, my injuries go to SAP programs. Yeah, That's why think, my records are classified. Yeah, I think Green hit did that as well. I mean, where he no, he wrote it. He said it yeah, in his, yeah. his written statement yeah. that that my records are being held back because they they're linked to SAP programs. Wow. That's where I kind of wanted to just jump in real quick, um, John. I think you pointed out such a special moment for people around my age with that citizens hearing and the footage that came out after it, and just anybody that kind of followed along with your anthology side of this story, it automatically made me jump to this interview that you did, or maybe it was a co-interview you did with Linda Moulton Howe, and maybe okay. you were talking some things out with Richard Doty, but that really laid out the anthology of how you got help with your health issues and really how you had to bounce around to get those issues moved to that state. So I just kind of wanted to point that out to our audience a little bit. Well, I can expand on that. Um, Green, it was, okay, he came and saw me. He, he came, he met with Pat, the attorney, in uh, Jackson. Then he came out. I was living in Sedona. He came out and visited. He came out. Pat flew out with his wife, who's an attorney and a nurse. And he did a medical evaluation. And I didn't get told at the time, but he had, he stated a path that my heart was close to failure. And so they wanted to, um, they wanted to do a DNA test on me and an MRI. Well, I said no to the DNA immediately and for good reason, because I'll explain it down the road, but um, the MRI was interesting, but they couldn't do it because I have a pacemaker. And, and even though my pacemaker was set up where you could do an MRI, they couldn't justify doing it. Um, Based off of um, based off the risk, even though there was a low risk, they didn't want to risk the uh, the actual um, study of the mind through the MRI. But um, 
so he wrote a letter that's now classified. Um, it wasn't at the time, but it's classified. And he laid out to the VA and the DOD exactly what, what my problems are and why. And as soon as I took it into the, the VA, they got on the horn. And the next thing you know, everything started moving forward with what they had, my treatment, my surgery. Um, they brought a DOD doctor in. Um, they did their own. <laughs> they did their own blood draw on me down there that's got sent to an off-site classified lab for DNA study. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. And then, then Alexander told me, because we did an interview with him on Phenomenon Radio, he told me, he says, did you give him your DNA? And I said, I said, no. I said, I haven't done it. And he said, well, they got it. They got, not only did they get your blood, which I've got the documents to show they did, but they got tissue. And that was the most important thing of all. Not only did they get my blood, but they got my tissue that was damaged by this. So that 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 moved the ball forward even more. So, John, so wait, when, oh, oh no, what wait. are your thoughts with this latest list that's been released about supposed experiencer symptoms? Like, do you feel like yours fall in line with that list? You've seen it. <laughs> I had all those documents before they got declassified. Now, right. the interesting thing was, no, they were given to me by the group. The interesting thing was what most people don't know, but McCain got me my settlement. He was the biggest driving force besides the attorney and what Green did. But I don't think most people followed this, but I, I, I know you guys aware. As soon as I got my settlement, they went to McCain's committee for funding for exotic technology. Wow. Those DIA papers were released to McCain's committee when he was still alive before he died. So he was already in, in the loop of what was going on. And not only that, but one of the things that the big showdown came down to was he told after they said they were going to give me my settlement, then they didn't. It got pulled from way up high. Department of Justice was involved. They turned around and he came back and said, fine, then let's open a hearing on the whole thing. And he was going to do a hearing and we were going to file a federal lawsuit on why my records were going to be held back to include calling. Every, we sent out all the letters to bring in each and every, every individual brought involved, including Penniston, to have them do a um, uh, do an initial interview and then be called to court to explain what happened at the incident. And the other thing that Penniston has not been truthful about, if you go back and look at the hearings, he said he had injuries from the incident, and now he's claiming he wasn't. So he's backtracked on that one too. I think what I follow with that is. Uh, his sleep-related issues is... No, it was PTSD and it was also um, his balance. And if you yeah. go and look at the if you go and look at the symptoms, that's one of the things that affects your equilibrium and everything else. And he had an ear issue that came up from it afterwards. And I've had some of those same issues, but not that severe. Wow. Yeah. So when did your injuries first start? Like you, I think you went to the hospital right away. Can you go through well, your... Well, I didn't actually go to the... Here's the thing. I didn't feel good afterwards. Um, I, I got sick two or three times. Um, my mouth turned white. My gums turned white. Um, when I came back to the States, which that was another thing that's not true. Um, there are different people who supposedly got orders out of there right away. Tamplin did. I, I finished my tour. And where my orders got juggled around, which was interesting, I didn't know at the time, was after the news of the world um, 
came out, uh, Halt and I got sent to Korea. He was at Kunsan. I was at Osan. Williams was our boss. He was a PACAF commander. They hit us over in PACAF once the story leaked and CNN was on it to, because you had to get special permission to come over. And DeCaro tried to come over and he was denied a visa to come over and talk to us. Wow. So, um, my, but what, here's where it got really interesting, which again, I didn't know at the time. Um, I came back to the States. I happened to get stationed at Grissom, which I didn't want to be. And everybody else leaving, most everybody got their, what they got. A few people got Northern Tier, but law enforcement usually got, if you had eight choices, you got one of bases. I didn't want to go to Grissom, but I got it. But when I got sick, they sent me to right path. And that's where they did all the analysis on my blood, my heart, and everything else. Which at the time, I didn't know. But now I know that that's where they do a lot of the different things having to do with people that have injuries like this. So who's who's running the show here? I mean, and you've you've looked at this for 40 years. I mean, who's who's pulling the strings? Somebody seems to, according to the way you've got it in the book and the way you're spelling it out now, somebody seems to know how all the pieces fit together. And there's an organized, it seems to be an organization that's keeping track of this, moving people around, hiding people, hiding documents. Who do you think is actually behind this? Is the president behind this? Well, you know how elected officials are, they come and go. So, no, you know, I mean, I, I just, I'll give you people a brief synopsis of what I mean. And I'm not trying to drag up politics other than this. When Trump was in office, he ordered the troops out of Syria. And when Biden came in, people were questioning why troops were still in Syria. And he said, they're not there. And they did some investigations and yeah, they were, they, they, they actually defied Trump's order to leave. And the way they got around it was simply reclassifying the mission. But they were there doing the same mission. They just reworded the mission. So do, do does the president, the president's a pawn, okay? And if as you know, this is usually a topic you don't, even, up until recently, and they still haven't addressed it. It was interesting, Trump kind of skirted it a little bit. But whatever it is, think about this. Trump was a hothead. And he'd talk about just about anything. He didn't want to talk about UFOs, did he? No. He didn't really say much. He and, interested, yeah. Yeah, but he, you know, you would think he didn't have a problem talking about anything else. Why didn't he bring up what it was? You know, he could have. So whatever it is, what's really going on behind the scenes that ties into industrial military and, you know, um, security state. And, and what I mean by that is just simple. They, um, they control the narrative through you know, most of the stuff now, when you do FOIA and stuff, even the one I got from the MOD, which was very interesting, it's in the book. I went after him when I got, I went after him off this documents later classified in Condine and stuff. And they openly admitted to me that they were working on military technology involving the phenomenon. And they couldn't talk about it because part of it tied into, you know, uh, industrial complex as far as you know, civilian contractors working on this technology. And so it's all tied up. And that's why I find it's interesting that Mellon, who was, you know, he was the first guy put in that, that new unit. What is, I don't even know what it is, but he was, they appointed that to oversee all the intelligence agencies to get him to work together, you know, together again. He was a deputy, he was a deputy director. He wasn't the director. And then what's the guy's name that um, was on to the stars that worked with skunk works. Uh, um, <laughs> he's the justice. one I always forget. Justice. justice, yes. Yeah, justice. If you watched Unidentified, when they narrowed him down a little bit, 
he said it could be our stuff, but he wouldn't be at liberty to admit it, even if it was. And so the, so the they would be the, the contractors. So we're, the old back to Eisenhower, the beware the military industrial complex. Is that what we're looking at here? That Yeah, I mean, be- yeah, that's that's when Truman started all these agencies. And then Eisenhower was military and was involved with that. And they were solidified themselves. He warned the general public of it. And then Kennedy, for all intents and purposes, was trying to break some of it up early on and got, he died. Now people, some people say he died because they killed him or he, you know, whatever. But the point being is, is these complexes control this stuff. And when you talk about national security, that's a fine line. And, you know, I'm not going to challenge national security overall. The problem is the, and in essence, American people have no say in what national security is or isn't and what they need to know and what they don't need to know. So they've got, there's people making these decisions every day based on what needs to happen with our country or Canada and these other countries. And it's really outside the realm. It's the one thing that's completely outside the realm of the uh, public, of opinion. And think about it. I mean, the presidents and everybody else gets elected. These guys don't. They're appointed. You know, directors are appointed. But one of the guys I think that knew the most, that put it mostly together was Bush, the old Bush, because he worked in the diplomatic thing. He was in China. Then he became the director of the CIA. Then he became the vice president. And then he became the president. And I think he probably had a better beeline on everything that was going on because of his background. You know, and I don't think ever since then, any of these guys, they, they don't even sniff what's going on. They're just given a briefing. And then if it's bad enough, they have to address the American people. But they're, they don't really have a lot to say. Yeah, which leads to the question of I mean, maybe you can get into some of the technology you think they've developed from this. And the question that always pops up to me is we've got all this technology, but we lost to a bunch of Stone Age uh, guys driving around on donkeys in Afghanistan. So has it really helped us any? Well, okay, they didn't want to win in Afghanistan. <laughs> okay. They didn't want to win in Iraq. Um, I'm going to carry this and go. I got to, okay. uh, unless you want to freeze this. No, 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 no. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, this is a casual conversation. Just do whatever you got to do. Okay. Um, they, they didn't want to win in Vietnam. They wanted to feed the, the complex, okay? Um, I, I'll give you a story that's not classified. Um, after 9-11, I... Um, I got sent over for Tora Bora. And when I went over, the guys that were flying the airplanes had been going nonstop because most of the um, most of the c- civilian side had been shut down. OK, they were shutting everything down. I think that particular company was down to six airplanes, which yeah. was Evergreen Airlines, which I don't know if you know that, but that's tied to the CIA. Yeah. yeah. OK. And so they got told now, interesting enough, and this is exactly what they said. And it happened. These guys told me they were all retired Air Force said that their company was told to plan for a 20 year campaign and to 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 um, to completely um, completely ramp up and buy as many airplanes and hire as many pilots as you can. So they already knew. Now, can you imagine this? Less than what three months or four months after um, after the incident happened, they were already planning for twenty years. Wow. So, if you're planning for twenty years, does that sound like you plan on winning? Yeah. yeah. Then the another thing that happened, I was at a classified location, and Tommy Franks came in, 
because he was there negotiating um, the agreement for us to be there. And he, he made a comment to the, us that he said, if my president wants us to go to war, we'll go to war, but he's not giving us what we need to do, their job right. And if you go back and look at the history of Iraq, we had more than enough troops to go in and take out, take Iraq, but we didn't have enough to hold it. So there was no, there was no emphasis on winning that war. It was simply to feed the industrial military complex. In my opinion, based on being there, seeing what I saw and everything else. And, and you go down the road, what's this going to do? These UAPs are going to do. It's going to be a whole new line of exotic weapons that are going to come out of this. And the issue that I was always told, because I was really good friends with Chuck DeCaro, was there was always a fight. It wasn't a religious fight inside the halls of Congress. It was the funding fight. And the fight was about the weapons that work and the weapons that are on the drawing board and will they work or not. And a lot of this stuff that they're working on through DARPA and everything, which is out there, you know, whether they can beam you from point A to B, they can use this terahertz radiation, which green and put off introduced to everybody back with my incident is stuff that's not reliable and costs a lot of money. So there's always been a fight going on with that. But like I said, right away, Right after my settlement, they went to McCain's committee for funding for with these DIA papers that they declassified to try and get funding for exotic technology. Have you kind of have you lost that support since Kane has passed or has somebody else kind of replaced his role for, you know, trying to help? Well, if you're asking me, am I a little nervous that he passed? I mean, other than it was sad that he passed and the way he had to pass. But yeah, there is a little bit of concern of mine because one of the things that's interesting about Lou is, and I, I can't confirm this, but he said this publicly, that his his family and himself have been threatened. And he supposedly was quite a bit higher up in the government than I ever was. And he, um, he uh, has probably aces in the hole and he's concerned, but I don't have that kind of protection. So are you asking me, Am I concerned a little bit? Yeah. Have I ever been threatened? No. The only thing I ever was told was right after I got my settlement was I got a letter from from the VA and the DOD stating that my case was now closed, mm-hmm. that I was they took responsibility for my injuries and that they were going to take care of me and that they would no further they would no longer answer any of my open FOIAs or any other FOIAs I have about the incident, and basically. Uh, Cheryl Bennett, who's got a chapter in, in the book, stated to me that that was their way of telling me to let it go and be happy with what you got. Because if you go down the road further, it could cause some issues. Wow. And Grant, um, I know you guys, uh, John, real briefly, you did mention Andrew Pike's book and kind of the surrounding the three days or the three night event of Rimbledon Forest. Just I flipped open the book real quick. I mean, a lot of this even goes back to like 1957 and it explains maybe why they would start doing testing in the area, but all the earthquake activity that's there in a surrounding forest in 1957, they called them the tadpole lights that would appear. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about that is the guy that authored, the guy that authored the content report could have been because most people don't know this either. Um, the first incident happened at Bentwaters. They had pilots chase 
chase something in the sky. I forget exactly what the description was, but that happened. And if I remember right, let's see, Kirkland happened the second time. Something happened to Kirkland in March, and then we had our incident in December. Then, so the 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 first time Bentwaters happened, and then they had an incident at Kirkland afterwards. So, and they were real close to each other, and it was very interesting to me that the that both times Bentwaters had something happen, Kirkland did, and also there's a possibility there's the pilots were British that chased it the first time. There is a possibility that one of the pilots was the guy that co-authored the uh, Condine report. Oh wow! And yeah, there is just all these reports. And that's where people get caught up that Rendlesham Forest is just your guys' story, those three nights. There is all these other little nuances of high strangeness that go back, you know, and I think still continue to this day, honestly, if you talk to people that live in the area, it's the red, orange, and white orbs in the sky, you know. Well, I can explain one of the things that's interesting was that's why I said I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said it could be us. Those beams of light that Halt saw actually were probably lasers that were using, they were being used to control the plasma or the blue lights in the right. sky. So that's an interesting thing that at that time, none of us would have known about, but through declassified documents, it adds up now well, that that's probably what was going on. And you did a brilliant thing. Grant and I talk um, locations and, kind of lump in Navy technology and this anthology, like you brought up Lockheed having secret stuff, but you pointed out what's happening off our, you know, Western coast in the United States. Why is it important there? What do they study? The same thing about Rendlesham. And you brought up these early years where they're studying this, but this also has links to the European Space Agency and our own NASA because I think if I follow the science correctly, the studies they were doing back then are now happening up in space, all involving around exotic vacuum material or objects, exotic vacuum objects, EVOs. Well, quantum physics is huge yeah. in this and quantum so, consciousness is huge too. This layer of everything getting blacklisted is kind of over the military, over, you know, our space agencies. So there is, you know, a blast well, radius of this tech. The interesting thing about this, my co-author, James Warrow, we, we together, we found some documents, but he found a lot more. And some of my stuff was back back in 10 when I was looking at technology, because I'll tell you why. I saw some stuff when I was deployed that looked a lot like Rendlesham. And I was like, whoa. And But at the end of the day, a lot of these documents now are getting pulled. They're, be, they're disappearing off the internet now because nobody, everybody was looking for the little disc and little green men from planet Zeta Reticuli. And now they're starting, there's some researchers that are starting to look at not only what it could be we we're dealing with, but what is the military developed off of it? And it's starting to become a problem for our, our government. I mean, um, if you, one of the examples I'll give you, Kevin Day and I have done some shows together and we, he was getting into the fact that whatever was up there that night with the Nimitz pilots, if they'd have been armed, they'd have shot at it. And he said, if they would have shot at it and what you're saying it was, he said the missile would have returned and blown up the jet. And I said, well, isn't that interesting, Kevin? Wouldn't that be a great thing to be able to do to 
divert a, a, a missile and not have to fire a shot and have it blow up the Russian aircraft or the Chinese aircraft. And then he was silent, but he still wants to go with the fact that every single thing that went on couldn't have been us. Well, if you did your research on the Nimbus incident, the helmet, which is the F-35 helmet now, but Green and those guys were working on that through um, Penninger, um, the God's helmet. You've heard of that, Grant, right? Yeah. yeah. They were working on the ability to have the mind be stimulated by frequencies to be able to do a lot more, whether it was by a helmet, a chip, or both. And RF-35 now, Northrop Grumman's admitted that they're going to be able to control a whole armada through the helmet of weapons that the pilot's going to be able to do. But one of the problems they have is the pilot's mind can't keep up with the technology. So they're having to work on that. Well, the Nimbus incident, that initial helmet was being used by those pilots, which that can be modulated from our, our own people. And Day was disingenuous because finally, I forget, I think it was BD or somebody finally found out that our radars could be manipulated by our own technology. And the interesting thing is they're working on right now is, and you don't have to believe me, but they want to take consciousness from a human and they want to put it in a weapon system because they don't trust AI to do it the right way. Because the biggest thing is, is when you control these unmanned objects, they can be they can be brought down by by frequencies. But the mind itself and AI, it's a whole different animal. And Alexander was working all that, including non-lethal technology. That's so crazy. Have you ever wore one of those God helmets? No. No. No, I had the real thing. <laughs> All right. Even better. Even better. <laughs> um, man, I just lost my question. I'm sorry. Okay. Let, let me pop in with a question here because John just brought it up. You talked about the Nimitz and the encounters between the, the, the people who, and they thought they had an engagement. The same sort of thing seemed to happen at um, Rendlesham. There, so let's get in the interaction between the UAPs and the people on the ground. I remember you telling me that Kit Green had advised you to do meditation and yoga, certain types of meditation yeah. and yoga. And I asked you how this worked. So uh, is there an interaction? Is, well, what's the deal with the UAPs? What are they doing? Are, are you a part of their plan? Are you part of something they want out? I don't know. <laughs> you're, asking me, uh, you're asking me, that's why I think it's so funny when everybody thinks they have the inside, like from Simi Van and Mellon and these guys. <laughs> They're all spooks. They're not going to, even Elizondo, I'm sorry. I like the guy, but he worked inside government. And now he's telling you he wants to get these secrets out to be kept secret himself. Now, I mean, Harry Reid, the same way. He calls for the United States government to lease what they have. But when he was in power, he wanted to put it as an SAP program. So you're, you're asking me a question that, well, ask it again. I guess I'm asking the question about your personal encounter. So this was just not you saw a UFO, you got injured. It's gone on for years. There's there's a second part to this story. Your personal well, yeah, they they they, they they tried to study me. I mean, they and I'm gonna I'll tell you about the rest of it that I told you was why I didn't want to work with these guys in the very first place. You can't confirm anything they tell you. <laughs> you have no way of proving it. They can. Okay, I'll give you an example. Okay. They did the the government took my DNA 
at Davis Monthan, and I have records to prove it because there'll be people screaming, no, they didn't. They did. Alexander backed it up by saying they got my tissue, um, which means he's still on the inside, okay? Um, uh, even though he plays like he's not. You know, I just saw him last year in August. Same old John, same old, same old. As soon as you walk away from him, you're trying to remember what he told you because you know damn well the next time you talk to him, it's going to be something different. So anyway, um, so um, so they got my tissue. So Green came and visited me um, about a year later here in Illinois, and he gave me some documents he didn't want to put out over the internet. Um, they um, they told me to study meditation and yoga and meditation. And then he wanted to take my DNA again. Now, the first time what happened was, and this is, I'll make it short and sweet. They came to Sedona. He, 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 he left. I went back to my house to get, let the dogs out. Why Pat was still at the hotel with my son. Before I got back, Green had already set up for uh, Cohen Callaher and Nolan to fly. Green was going to fly, or uh, um, Nolan was flying to Vegas the next morning on Saturday, and they were going to drive down this Flagstaff to get my DNA. And so I met with him. It was like it was cloak and dagger, you know. <laughs> we we went to this hotel, the CD hotel, and they had a little bottomless there to take my blood. And 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 if I didn't even go at first, Pat and his wife went. They told him they I didn't want to do it. So. They said, well, we want to hear from him because now Green was already on the phone pissed because he thought I'd do it when I told him no in the first place. So I go over there and talk to him and I go, no, I'm not giving you my DNA. I won't be able to. First of all, you, you're not going to tell me anything. Or if you do, how am I going to be able to verify it? And, and I said, but hey, tell Bigelow this because I know Bigelow's in on this. I said, tell him I want to go to Skinwalker. And they both looked at me and they backed off and they go, you don't want to go to Skinwalker. I go, what do you mean? <laughs> After what you've been through and what you would trigger at Skinwalker, you don't want to go to Skinwalker. Well, I told him no. So they didn't get it. So he shows back up after the government got my DNA and it's showing I knew this now. So he goes, he goes, uh, we want your DNA. But this time he didn't want my blood. He just wanted a spit sample. Yeah. So that just confirmed to me they got what they wanted, you know, with oh. the blood. Because originally they wanted to draw my blood. So when I turned him down, the next time he just took a uh, one in a spit sample. But I made a stipulation. I said, I'm adopted. I said, I have no idea my heritage, my family background. And I said, my son wants to know his family tree from my end of the world. He knows his mom's. So we, um, I gave him a sample for their study, which I've never heard anything. I've got a little bit back on it from Nolan, but um I gave him a sample from my heritage. So this would have been like May. I think it was like, I'll have to go back. I, I've got the emails. I think it was August. I get a phone call at the house, which he never called me. He always said he wanted the, he wanted to, um, he wanted, he'd always set it up through email. I just get a phone call in the morning. So I answered the phone. I'm, I just woke up. He goes, you need to sit down. And I go, 